Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the Midweek Man United podcast with myself, Seb Parkinson, and I'm joined by Sam Hutchison. I'm not going to make a comment on your t-shirt this week because it is not a source of Maya, I think the, the, the review stated when we got a one-star review on uh, the podcast app. Very disappointing, but we're not going to dwell on it, are we, Sam? Uh, Manchester United have released a statement on Anthony over assault allegations. Now, this story is breaking news pretty much as we uh, as we record the pod. So I am simply going to read the story that Tyrone Marshall has written. I'm going to read his article out because that is as much information as we know. So the information, Sam, is as follows. Manchester United have released a statement acknowledging the allegations made against Anthony with investigations into the claims of assault made by his former girlfriend taking place in England and Brazil. The alleged victim, Gabriela Cavalin, gave an interview to Brazilian website UOL on Monday detailing the allegations, which includes photographs and screenshots of messages. Cavalin has claimed she was headbutted and punched by Anthony in a hotel room in Manchester the day after the 2-1 win against Manchester City on January the 14th, which is being investigated by Greater Manchester Police. She also claims she suffered a cut to her finger during an incident on May the 8th, the, the, the issue is also being looked at by Sao Paulo Civil Police in Brazil. United broke their silence on the matter with a statement on Wednesday, but said they were awaiting further information. The statement read, Manchester United acknowledges the allegations made against Anthony and notes that the police are conducting inquiries. Pending further information, the club will be making no further comments. As a club, we are taking this matter seriously with consideration of the impact of these allegations and subsequent reporting will have on survivors of abuse. United refused to confirm whether Anthony would remain available for his selection, but it is expected he will still be part of Eric Ten Hag's squad for now. The pressure was built on United after the Brazilian Football Confederation dropped the 23-year-old from the Brazil squad for this week's World Cup qualifiers against Bolivia and Peru. The club have previously pointed to the players' own denials on social media when asked if they wished to comment. The CBF released their own statement on Monday, which read, Due to the facts that became public on Monday involving Manchester United player Anthony, and which need to be investigated, and in order to safeguard the alleged victim, the player, the Brazilian team, and the CBF, the organisation informs that the athlete has been withdrawn from the Brazilian team. Sam, that is as up-to-date as we can be at the time of recording regarding the situation with Anthony and now this this story this breaking story adds to the the utter turmoil that I would use the word I would use to describe Manchester United over the past month or so there's been players questioning the manager there's been the manager calling out players there's been players signing for the club injured there have been key players of the team getting injured early on in the season there've been massive underperformances there've been just just Utter chaos and 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 to boot, United have had two defeats. So, with that in mind, welcome to the podcast. And 
How are you? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, like you say, it has been an absolute month of turmoil for Manchester United. In what seemed like a really good start to the transfer window, it's now all being derailed pretty much as the month went along and by the end of transfer by the end of the transfer window, we ended up not really knowing where we stand with a lot of the new signings to Manchester United, yeah. Well, earlier in the week, Manchester United released their UEFA Champions League squad, which omits Donny van der Beek. He was missing from that squad. He was the most notable player to be missing from that squad. I think Ahmad Diallo was missing from the 25, but... There's a B list. There's yes, an A list and a B list. And he, he yeah. can come on that B list. So, uh, looking at that Champions League squad, I think it's pretty self-explanatory yeah. who, who is in it and why. But your thoughts on Donny van der Beek missing? Not surprised, really. He's never fit. If he is fit, he's not good enough. Is pretty much how it how it transpires at Man United. He's not really putting any performances. You know, on the on Monday's episode of the Manchester is Red podcast, me and Tyrone sat down and had a discussion about you know a move didn't materialise for Donny Van Der Beek. It does mi- sort of mean maybe there is a transfer in the works. There's still Man United are still looking at options. You know, I think Saudi Arabia's closes tonight as we're recording this, and the Turkish. Uh, transfer window is still open for a, a little bit longer, I think another week, which there's been links to Galatasaray for Donny van der Beek. They have just signed Tangi on Dombele and Davinson Sanchez from Spurs, which might put an end to all of those rumours as Tangi and Dombele and van der Beek play the same position pretty much. But there's other Turkish teams, you know, if Donny van der Beek is still open to a move away, if Man United are still open to accepting offers for Donny van der Beek and it looks like they are because he's not in the Champions League squad you know there is still an option there that he might leave and we have seen Eric Bailly go to Besiktas on a free transfer for on a one-year contract to Besiktas which brings his time at the club to an end really yeah and just looking at there's an article from Stephen Railston opinion piece that says Manchester United have paid 1.25 million pounds for every start that Donny van der Beek has made during his time at the club. United signed van der Beek from Ajax in September 2020 for £35 million. He's made just 28 starts since his career blossomed in Amsterdam, but it's spectacularly regressed in Manchester, and his absence from each matchday squad this season hasn't been a story. What is the story, though, is the fact that Eric Ten Hag was his manager. Eric Ten Hag seems to be bringing players in that he has previously managed or worked with or has some sort of relationship with, with a couple being the exception mm-hmm. like Casemiro and Mason Mount. But um, yeah, and Donny van der Beek was a player that you know United bought from Eric Ten Hag at Ajax and there was this whole look after our Donny sort of statement yeah. and Edwin van der Sar's involvement and everything. And there was hope that when... Eric Ten Hag came to the club that Donny van der Beek's career would get back on track. And then, you know, he just started to look like he was potentially going to be making some sort of leeway in in, in getting going again. And then he, he had that, was it a leg yeah. break or an ankle break? Yeah. And that sort of ended all hope. And he's come back this season and just can't get anywhere near the team. Not in, Never mind no. in the team. He just can't get anywhere near the team. I mean, even pre-season, he was barely in the team. I think he played 45 minutes against... I don't even remember. He played 45 minutes on the tour in the USA and then was taken off at half-time, which on a pre-season tour for a player who's not been playing recently must be really disheartening at the very least. Yeah, and uh, seeing the news that Phil Jones is is back at Manchester United, which is something we sort of joked about. You know, United are that desperate for defenders, they'll bring Phil Jones back. Well, Phil Jones is back at Manchester United, not to, not to play, of course, but there's probably more chance of Phil Jones making a return and starting for Manchester United than Donny van der Beek playing for Manchester United again <laughs> at this rate. So, you know, it's 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 just a bit of a mess at the minute, the, the, yeah. what's going on. And, and maybe we look at the club every day. We see things every day. We're, we're looking for news every day. We're trying to, you know, produce stories and videos every single day. So maybe we're looking, you know, we're nitpicking too much. Mm-hmm. And I think it was um, Tyrone was saying on Monday's edition that when you're playing for Manchester United, you get more minutes on match of the day. You get more yeah. people watching the highlights. You get more scrutiny. Certain radio stations will make a week's worth of content from one Manchester United performance, whereas if you're playing for the likes of Watford or Leicester or Norwich or West Ham, that mm. you know at the end of that weekend the scrutiny is a lot less. And yeah, which is why the the, the idea of Harry Maguire leaving Manchester United to go yeah. to one of these 
you know, lower down the table clubs would be better for his career because it means that he might have a bad game, but he's not going to be subject to abuse online by worldwide fans because worldwide fans are seeing Manchester United highlights, you know, on on all these all these sport channels and everything. And yeah, it's just it's just interesting. It's just interesting how Manchester United is 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 just in such a such a bit of a, a bit yeah. of a pickle at the minute. But, you know, let's look at some positives, Sam. Give me some positives. Talk to me about Rashford's performance on Sunday. Yeah, I thought Rashford, uh Hoyland and Anana actually what is a negative result? They were the positives of the that game. I thought Hoyland's debut was really positive. For him and for you United fans sat at home listening to us here, I do think Hoyland's debut was everything we wanted to see from Hoyland on a you know, he's coming in and such a massive game. He doesn't look overfaced by the opposition. You know, it's a really good Arsenal side. He doesn't look like he's struggling against this Gabriel, who was one of the best defenders in the league last year. He looked physical. He looked like he was ready to get thrown in. Him and Casemiro, there's that, that part where, you know, he got grabbed by Casemiro and shook and said, Casemiro said, vamos, or whatever he said. And... Hoyland was like, yeah, this is this is Manchester United. You know, he he hired an agency to get him this move to Manchester United. He's always wanted to be here, and he looks like he's his his debut was really positive, basically. And Onana, I just think he looks so confident. I'm a real big fan of his. I just think he's he plays football like someone who's just oozing confidence, and you don't really see that from goalkeepers. You see that from attackers sometimes, and it'll get on fans' nerves, but. Onana's just like, he just seems to be so calm and cool and collected all the time. And then Rashford, I thought, you know, see him on left wing and he performs again at top quality. You know, his, his goal was brilliantly taken. Cutting in, hitting it in off the post. I thought, what a tidy finish. Well done from Rashford. Confident, back out on the left wing, making the runs that we know are so dangerous from Rashford because he has this preferred run where he starts on the left. And he'll drag a right back out of position. He'll cause problems for a centre back. And even if he doesn't get the ball, it opens up a gap on the left wing or through the centre or on the right wing for someone else to then take advantage of. And it's just when Rashford is on the left wing, Man United are so much better. And then obviously, it was an unfortunate result on the at the weekend. I think Man United probably played out a draw, but you know that's the way of football. You can't play out a draw and then ex- expect that the other team are just going to be happy sitting with the ball as well. They Everyone's always going out to try and win. Man United went out to try and win. Eric Ten Hogg's probably sat away at the Emirates thinking, hang on here, a point away at the Emirates is pretty decent. And then, you know, it all fell apart in added time. But that's to be expected when you're bringing on the sort of quality of players that Man United were bringing on compared to the quality of players that Arsenal were bringing on late onto the game. Yeah, I think Ty said, didn't he, on on Monday that United ended the game with the eighteen nineteen Leicester City centre half pairing, but you know both of them were in their prime or nearing their mm. prime at the time, and now they're neither of them in their prime. And Johnny Evans was brought in as a backup, and uh, did a nice video on Johnny Evans, sort of saying the truth about Johnny Evans, why is he still at Man United? And in that video, I sort of said that United would announce on deadline day that he's extended his contract, and, and he has done his extended. So that's another positive to take that United yeah. have brought in a, fr- a free transfer. You know, he's a he's a an experienced head. He's is you know he's not going to be groundbreaking, but sometimes bringing these players in who've got lots and lots of experience is he really helps the group. Yeah. Not necessarily on the pitch. Not you know you, you get all these people who who live for transfers who literally spend all their days speculating watching jets flying over the ocean to say he's mm-hmm. going to he's going to land here or whatever but to have a player of Johnny Evans uh, esteem and his his caliber in terms of his experience you know he's a premier league winner he's a champions league winner he knows he knows what it means to be a manchester united player and you know he he isn't going to be expecting to be playing 35 games a season he's probably mm-hmm. expecting to play maybe 10 or 15 but you know we've seen that Varane can get injured. We've you know it's it's no secret that he retired from playing for his country because he wanted to elongate well, his club yeah. career. And you know he's not the he's not the most um, or he he is more brittle nowadays than than anything. So you need a player like Johnny Evans who's rarely injured to to be able to. Well, you say rarely injured. He spent most of the last season out injured is the yeah. issue. But, but over the span of yeah. his career, yeah, he has been rarely injured, and he's he's been ultimately ultimately available so yeah you know 
it's frustrating because, like you say, United played for the draw. And I think that when you're away at Arsenal, playing for a draw, at the end of the game, you say, we got a point. You know what? I'd have took a point at the start of the game, that sort of attitude. I get it. But when you watch the performance and you think it was quite drab from yeah. both teams, you know, either side of the goal, it was pretty drab. And then there was a few sparks, you know, the, the I mean, the Garnacho goal, you know, if you forget that, if you take the VAR aspect out of it, the actual build-up play to that goal was was superb that was it reminded me of the Manchester United Champions League game where Ronaldo scored and mm-hmm. um, I think Park Ji Sung was running through and and Rooney squared it to Ronaldo after running the full end for the pitch and Rashford had the ball in this particular case in his own half I don't know why yeah. Rashford was there but he no. was there and it was an overhit pass that Hoyland dropped onto flicked it around the outside to Garnacho who was on his bike now the argument about VAR, you know, I've seen. I think it was was it Jamie O'Hara was talking about it, saying it was never offside. I, it's a, it's a strange one, the offside call, because it is a mathematical thing, but you know the lines don't look like they're always drawn in the same place. The the players are sort of in different positions. The players' body shapes are always going to be different. So it's a strange one. I think it probably was offside, but in years gone past it wouldn't have been called. You know, there was always benefit of the doubt to the attacker and all of that. And it was, and to be honest with you, it's shocking defending from Gabriel. I don't know why he's leaning to try and play him onside by the looks of things. He stood there like he's looking around a corner. But it's it probably is offside at the end of the day and it's one of those that's just, you've just got to roll with it sometimes. I mean, I personally thought it was offside without hesitation. I saw it and I was like, he's offside. And... He scored a goal. It was a fantastic finish, by the way. I, the thing is, I don't want to take anything away from the, the the build-up play and the finish. It was superb. It was an absolutely world-class move. Yeah. You know, and it tore it tore Arsenal into. Arsenal got away with one there because he was what it was probably about five centimeters offside, which that's what VAR is there to do. Yeah. You know, we, we as United fans, we might not like it, but you know, we've had enough of them going our favor, and we will have some going our favor. You know, the. Um, we, the the Onana against Wolves. Yeah. You know, that went in our favour. So swings and roundabouts, you know. But could United have gone on to win that game 2-1 if that goal had been counted? Possibly. But, you know, we, we walked away 3-1 down and I criticised Dallow for sliding in uh, yeah. for the third goal. He just slid in. It was like some sort of awful Sunday league uh, tackle. But, you know... <sighs> There's not much he could do there, really. If, no, he, doesn't, if he, he doesn't slide... Gabriel Jesus just knocks it near post and probably beats Onana at his near post. If he does it. does slide, he puts it far post. And I feel for Johnny Evans as well because the ball deflected off him, didn't it, yeah. for the goal? And he's had a bit of a mare because he he wasn't amazing in pre-season. But then again, you know, he, he he's not been expected to bring in to. He's not this world class centre half. He's not been brought in to be that. But when 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 the you know if that was if if that happened to Maguire, yeah, the world would probably eat him up. So it's it's sort of fortunate for Maguire that Johnny Evans was there to take the brunt of that and take that hit because he's he's not somebody that that the media and other people are going to pick up on and start slating and it's yeah. going to affect his game. He's not that fussed, but you know. But just on Harry Maguire, Sam. Yes, he's uh, he's been called up to the England team. Yes, him he has. and Rashford, two Manchester United players called up to the England team. Luke Shaw would have probably been if he wasn't injured. Mason Mount would have been if he wasn't injured. Yeah, yeah. So two Man United players representing England. Uh, just, I just want your thoughts on it. I, I personally think Harry Maguire is is absolutely essential to that England team personally, yeah. and I'll give you my opinion on it. But, but let me hear yours. Well, I think, I think, yeah, you know, Maguire's never really put a foot wrong in an England shirt. But I think if you're going to give players a chance to prove themselves on the international stage, now is the time. You know, it's only it's one friendly against Scotland in a 150th anniversary match next week, something like that. Uh, and then a qualifier against Ukraine. And, you know, when the players are coming through, there's always going to be young English centre-halves who maybe deserve a chance or have had a great start to the season, like Levi Colwell at Chelsea. There's always going to be players that always are going to think they should be in the squad. If you're going to give a player a chance, I think now's the time to do it. To counteract that argument, which is probably your argument, you know, Harry Maguire has never put a foot wrong in an England shirt. Why would Gareth Southgate not pick him when he's been so consistent, so consistently good for England? It's just at Man United that his form's not replicated. 
well, it's not that his form's not replicated. He's not been picked, has he? And that's that's yeah. the top and bottom of it. And and and, and in, in a way, I agree that anybody that isn't playing club football should not be selected for their country. I do I do agree with that argument, and I do feel that the argument holds weight. And you know, if a player is playing. I think Joe Gomez is third choice. If he's playing every single game for Liverpool and Harry Maguire's not playing a single game for Man United, why should Harry Maguire be picked over Joe Gomez? Now, from Gareth Southgate's perspective, he's a manager of this team who they only meet up once every three months or something like that. They only train for five or six days and then he's lost his players again. You have two games or whatever it is. He needs the players who know how he operates. He needs the players that can command his rules and keep up his standards yeah. you know off the pitch at training around the hotel around camp to make sure that the media are not getting stories leaked to them and and i think that the what people don't appreciate is how much of a how much control he sort of needs and how much how important that aspect of it is and that's it and if you are going to move players on or, or move mm. players out of that squad doing a big chunk of them at the same time you know, at the end of one season, start of the new season, he's saying one thing, but England have been so consistently good under Southgate, you know, falling at the last hurdle at the Euros, falling at the second to last hurdle at the World Cup, like what an absolute monumental mm. achievement. That group of players, are they know how each other plays, they know how to play together, and bringing one or two in now and again to, into that group is mm. great because then they come in and they bed into the way that that group operates. Yeah rather than bringing six or seven new players in and getting rid of six or seven older players and go, right, well, you know, you're not playing for your club, so you're not in the team. You know, they might not actually play for England, but they're part of the group. And, you know, when it's a friendly, there's it's not like that's a squad and you can't bring anybody else in. You can sort of swap and change. You can make 10, 10 substitutes, yeah. at, you know, whatever. So you can bring players in to make their debut. You know, the players don't look at Harry Maguire as a laughing stock. The players look at Harry Maguire as an experienced key member of that team who they can learn from. And I think what a lot of people, when they start getting upset about seeing the players like Maguire and I think Jordan Henderson's Jordan Henderson. another one, they're experienced heads, though, that mean a lot in the camp yeah. as well. And it helps bring out the best in some of the other players and it helps teach them. And, and obviously they can help coach and train and, you know, these are these are winners with a winner's mentality and experience of playing in major tournaments, experience of defeating major tournaments, you know, experience of travel, the, you know, what it takes out of you. And these younger players, they just feed off that. And to lose all of them in one hit or, or you know, a chunk of them yeah. in one hit, it, it, I just don't think it's, I don't think it's healthy. And, and, you know, I think at some point, if Maguire doesn't start playing for England, at, for United, Will he end up at that Euros? I think I think I would probably say he will. He might not be first choice at that point, but I still think he'll be in that yeah. in that in that group because he's thirty. He's he's in his prime in terms of his footballing career. He's got all these all these uh, England caps under his belt. You know, he's an experienced head in that team. I don't think Jordan Henderson would be in it because I think he's he's three years older. He's gone to a league where the intensity is and and um, the scrutiny, like you know, scouts and that don't really know how intense that league is in training, what the fitness regimes are yeah. compared to the Premier League. Whereas Harry Maguire not, might not be playing matches for Manchester United, but he's still doing the same training as all yeah. those other top-tier players. And, you know, you'd rather have somebody in your team who is training at a high level but not necessarily playing than somebody less experienced who's playing week in, week out, getting beat 4-5-0, yeah. and nil, but, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a good defender. So it's a balancing act. But I think Gareth Southgate's made the right decision, and and as you say, you know England playing Ukraine on Saturday at five o'clock. Then we play in Scotland on Tuesday uh, away. It looks like it's over in Scotland. You know, then the group dis dis yeah. dis dis disband. Then they're back together in October against Australia in a friendly, and then Italy in a qualifier, and then England don't play again then until November. Two games in November. So disrupting this group by bringing in loads of new faces. You, you might find that it'll, the next time England meet up for Australia and Italy. Players like Jordan Henderson are, are not there mm. because get him in, blood these younger lads in who, so they can learn the group. And there's, there's a lot of stories you see. I think like Wayne Rooney was uh, in one of his books was talking about when he made his England debut and how clicky it was at the time and how yeah. over the years that that click. And I think when he, when Rooney was captain, he was the one that sort of made sure that players weren't in these little clicks. And again, having these experienced players there to, to stop that happening and to, to make sure the group yeah. are all friends and you know, put the rivalry club rivals that aside for for those few weeks, and you see that you see the the chemistry between us England players. You, see, you know, we saw it at the World Cup when they were all on those 
unicorns. So that's my argument anyway for yeah. why Maguire should still be involved in the England team. Whether he starts or not is subject to to, to see. But, you know, his fitness isn't going to be an issue. No. And he's going to be fresh because he's not played that much. So And, and, he, and he can play at a high level. Yeah. So I, I just think that it, all these people saying, oh, Maguire this, Maguire that, blah, 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 blah. It's like, yeah, but you tell me somebody that's played at that higher level for his country, for a team, for his team that's English, that's that's as well established centre half, that isn't John Stones because yeah. he will be one who plays plays alongside him. If you can find somebody, then yeah, you can well, replace that's, him. That's the thing as well. John Stones is injured, obviously, yeah. which also opens the door for Harry Maguire. That means another centre back's got to come in. And so, is it going to be Maguire and Gomez? It'll be Maguire and Colwell, probably. Depends what system uh, Southgate decides to play. Because if he does decide to play these inverted fullbacks or a sort of five at the back slash three at the back sort of system, there's lots of different options that he can use in there. You know, we've seen Ben Chilwell early in the season who has gone as England's left back and he will be England's first choice left back for at least this group of internationals because of the injury to Luke Shaw. Well, Shaw's probably going to be out for a lot longer than we think. Exactly. United won't tell us, but. Uh, it seems to be a lot more serious than uh, than anybody first thought. Yeah. So you know, Shaw might be out as far as we're concerned now for the season. Yeah, well, yeah. So Chilwell might end up playing. Well, he has been playing in early, early weeks of the season for Chelsea, almost effectively as a left winger. Which you know he'll drop back into a back five or a back. If he drops into a back four, you're basically asking him to play a different position entirely. Which you know, there's there's a lot of scrutiny. There always will be on Gareth Southgate's job. I think he has got to choose the best squad and that often doesn't include the best players or all of the best players. It'll include his best, whatever, 11. But then the squad is more important than one individual player being in there. Do you know what I mean? So it's just one of those one of those things. There's always going to be people that disagree. There's always going to be people who think, oh, I think you should have chosen this player because he's done more than this player. That's not really how the international system works. And Gareth Southgate, it's his squad. He's got to ride with it, basically. He's got to see how it goes with his squad. And it's up to him who he picks. And it's up to him to get the best out of these players. And it'd be nice to see that um, Rashford will be playing on the left for Southgate as well. Because we've got Harry Kane for England. Yes. You don't have at Manchester United. So, you know... Um, Rashford's made no secret of the fact that he wants to play on the left. He played against on the left against Arsenal. He's um, he scored. Rashford's played 17 games against Arsenal in his career so far, and he's played centre forward slash up front in 10 of the 17, scoring six goals. Obviously, the one that came uh, on Sunday was from the left. Well, so hopefully, you know that will allow Rashford to develop a bit more as that left left midfield role, left wing role, and he'll do that in England training with you know whipping the ball into Kane or, yeah. or attacking that way, which will hopefully mean that when Hoyland comes back from Denmark duty, that he and Rashford will will be able to build a bond uh, down that left. Now the the question on that though, where does that leave Garnacho? I think that leaves Garnacho playing a backup role to Rashford most of the season. I think that's probably where he's best at the minute as well. The pressure's off him. You know, we saw early earlier in the season Rashford starting as a centre forward, and I think Garnacho started on the left wing, and he was not anywhere near what we know Garnacho's capable of. I think he's much better off the bench at the minute. I think eventually he will become this, you know, starting left winger for Manchester United, or even starting right winger for Manchester United. He is a winger. That's the that's another issue. You know, he's not. He's probably not versatile as of yet enough to go into central midfield so or attacking midfield or sort of central role we're, we're seeing a lot of you know oh yeah we want Garnacho in the side but Rashford is that left winger like you can't be putting Rashford central to get Garnacho in because that makes Rashford a lot worse I think if you've got Garnacho as an option to come off the bench that makes your bench options a lot stronger and it probably makes Man United a stronger team in the last, you know, half an hour. You've got Garnacho running at a tired left a tired right right back or a le- tired right left back who's been run ragged all game by Man United's other attackers. I think Garnacho is probably going to stay most of this season as Eric Ten Hag's first choice substitute. The great thing about Garnacho though as well on top of all that is his pace is incredible. His dribbling ability is outrageous. And also, as evidenced against Arsenal, he's got a cracking shot on him. Yeah. He knows how to find the net. Now, 
could we see Garnacho play on the right? We've got Sancho, who's probably not going to play for United again for a while, well, given yeah. what's going on. We've got Antony, who potentially the same. Yeah. So that means that United have got a big hole on that right side of midfield, which generally Bruno Fernandes would would fill when when there's nobody there. He'll play on the right, Rashford on the left, or Rashford up front, Marshall or whatever. And so could we potentially see Garnacho filling that role? And if not, who? Well, as I'm, I made this video a couple of weeks ago about how Manchester United should look towards what Real Madrid have done this season, where they've been left without a striker and they've got a couple of versatile attackers up front. I think maybe we might see Eric Ten Hag try a midfield diamond. So it'd be, just for an example, it'd be Onana in net, Aaron Wambasaka, Varane Martinez, you know, Sergio Reguilon at the minute. It looks like Luke Shaw and Tyrone Malassia are both out for a little bit longer than first expected. And then across midfield, it'd be Mount, Fernandez, Casemiro and Amrabat or Eriksen or, you know, Scott McTominay, Kobe Mainu. There's a lot of options in there. Donny van der Beek, if he is going to make a miraculous return to the first team fold. And then you've got two attackers in Hoyland and Rashford, who you, that means you can pretty much push Rashford out to be a left winger with who's cutting inside, which is how he plays most of the time anyway. And it means someone like Mason Mount or Bruno Fernandes, depending on how Eric Ten Hag sees it working best, would push out to the right wing, which would then fill that role like, like you say, might be vacated by the issues that Man United have got at right wing at current. Obviously, there is Ahmad, uh, who's injured at the minute, but he is to come back, and Palistri, who a lot of fans online especially have been calling for, you know, deserves a couple more chances in a United shirt to show how he can be best used because he is a very a dying breeder winger, really. He's a right-footed right winger, really fast, really direct, looks to get to the byline and cut it back across, which you don't see much more anymore. You know, the the impact of Iron Robin on the world of right wingers is they're all left-footed now, which, you know, it works if you've got a player like that, we see Anthony barely uses his right foot. I'm not sure he's got one, in fact. So, you know, we're looking at, like, there's a lot of options that Eric Ten Hag can use at right wing. Is it worth pushing Garnacho out there for a couple of games? Maybe. See see, see if he is as good at right wing as he is at left wing, you know. But left wing's the most oversaturated position in the world at the minute. I'd argue every top team has a top left winger. That's It's just how world football works. You know, as a youth, if you've played any football to you listening at home, if you played any football, Sunday league, say, where was your best player on the pitch? They were usually a left winger. They were in my team anyway. And I was a right back, so I was usually getting terrorised by the left wingers. So, you know, it is it is a really oversaturated position. So if Garnacho can add another string to his bow... And that is right wing. I'm all for it. I have never thought about that. The left winger being one of the best players. That is, I'm thinking about it now, and that, that was true in my teams as well. Mm. I played in about four different, five different uh, Sunday League teams or youth teams growing up, and I, I'm thinking of the names of the people who played on left wing, and they were they were generally the best player. Yeah, yeah. That's absolutely insane, Sam. <laughs> and that's blown my brain a little bit. Listeners at home, think about if you played Sunday League, who what, what position was the best best position for you? And uh, and let us know. Anyway, Sam, on a bit more of a positive spin once again, I want to just let you know that Lissandro Martinez is back in full training with Argentina, which is music to my ears. We saw that Manchester United ended the game against Arsenal with our fourth and fifth choice centre-half. So you've got Varane that's injured. Is Varane, Lindelof injured? Lindelof. Yeah, he was injured. He's back. He's back. He's, he's gone okay. in international duty as well. So, yeah. And now Martinez is back. Martinez. So that means that when we come back, we're going to have a nice partnership of Lindelof and Martinez, we expect. Probably. Varane's probably injured for a little bit longer. Um, no no point rushing him back, is there either? You know. No, I suppose he's got an international break, two weeks to, to, to get himself sorted. And uh, look, let, let's be honest, the season doesn't really get into full flow until we get to around Christmas anyway. Yeah. He got the. I think the next big game we've got is at the end of October against City, um, and then. Uh, but then, like I say, the, it's usually around Christmas when people start to get really excited, um, and you have about fifteen games in three days or whatever, yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah. it is, and then all the FA Cup in the beginning of yeah. January, the, the FA Cup third rounds. So that's when you feel that the season's really gotten going, and that's when you can start to see the points on the board are starting to separate teams because. You know, before that, you see like Chelsea in 14th, but they're yeah. only two points behind the team in second. So yeah. it's uh, 
Yeah, it is what it is. Anyway, Sam, let's call it a day for part one there. When we come back, we will have a little review of the season so far, four games in, and have a look at the fixtures to come and uh, have a bit of a chat about Hoyland, Onana and Sancho before we round the podcast off. Back in a sec. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome back to this midweek podcast with myself, Sam Parkinson, and your man, Sam Hutchison, on the other side. Sam, you're uh, you're going on holiday next week, are you? Going to miss you? I am. I'm going on holiday. I'll be a, I'll be lying on the beach, beer in hand, getting a nice ta- suntan, sunglasses on. I'll get a text off Seb that I can ignore, and then oh, it'd be lovely. <laughs> I will not text you. I can assure you, I do not communicate with you outside of work when you're not working. I will, I will absolutely not be mithering you. But I know for a fact you're going to be sat there on FB Ref or Transfer Market. Oh yeah, research. Make no, it'll make no event. difference. Yeah, you'll be looking at Sunderland's results. And um, <laughs> I think what was beautiful about your podcast debut on Monday on the on the mainline Manchester's Red Pod. I just want to let everybody know, by the way, this is this is despite being on the Manchester's Red Podcast channel, this is not the mainline pod. I've seen a few comments of people saying, why do the hosts keep changing? They don't. We just have a rotation in place. It's people going on holiday at the moment. It's the end of the school holidays. It's the beginning of the transfer window. A lot of journalists don't really get time off during the season for obvious reasons. So if anybody's listening and wondering why you're hearing a few different voices now and again, that is it. Once we get into the season, you're Samuel It'll be a lot more consistent, we'll say. Yeah, Samuel Luckhurst will be back consistently. Stephen Railston will be back consistently. Tyron Marshall will be back. Rich Fay will be back. And Sam and I will continue our midweek pod now and again. Whether we do it every week is is to be decided. Let us know, guys, whether whether you're enjoying it or whether you want us to disappear into irrelevancy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, drop us a review, but only if you really like what we're doing. Yeah, only if it's five stars. (laughs) If it's it's anything like some of the ones I've seen, just don't bother. (laughs) Just tweet me instead. Anyway, Sam, back into the pod, right? Bit of nice news. Manchester United's Champions League. The champions! The Champions League group has been announced. Manchester United... Sorry, I know. Yeah, you're a piss. Sorry, listeners. (laughs) United are back in the Champions League where we belong. And Manchester United have been... uh... I think it's a winnable group. I think. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd say we'll finish second. Yeah. But I think it's a winnable group. It depends if we can get two draws against Bayern Munich and win our other four. I think we can win that group. Q seven nil against Bayern Munich yeah. in their favour. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Manchester United start their Champions League campaign off on the 20th of September against Bayern Munich away at the Allianz Arena. The next two fixtures are at Old Trafford, at home to Galatasaray on the 3rd of October, before hosting Copenhagen on the 24th. United then travel to Copenhagen on the 8th of November, before travelling to Turkey to see Galatasaray on the 29th of November. Galatasaray, is that where Fred is? No, that's Fenerbahce. 
Which one did... Oh, Besiktas is where... Besiktas is where Baye's gone. And Donny van der Beek's the one linked to Galatasaray. I knew there was a Galatasaray (laughs) link somewhere. Anyway, United will round off the Champions League group by this point on the 12th of December at home to Bayern Munich. That could be a make-or-break game, depending on how United get on. But to be honest, I take that. Go to Bayern Munich, get a stink out and get a draw. Right? Hear me out. Copenhagen at Old Trafford should be beating them 3-0. Galatasaray at Old Trafford. Galatasaray should be, should be, up, should be yeah. beating them 3-0. Yeah. Right? Galatasaray away, stink it out, but win 1-0. Mm-hmm. Copenhagen away, I reckon we beat them 2-1 away. And then at home to Bayern Munich, I reckon by that point, we should not We should be We should be, should be top through. two. Yeah, two yeah. be through. And, uh, you know, Probably lose one nil or something like that. Bayern Munich top the group. That they're my predictions for the. I think uh, Bayern Munich look really strong this year. Um, yeah, which is a they've they've added what they were missing last year in a consistent right sided centre half and a centre forward. So they they do look really really strong. And I would be I would be scared. Yeah, they got rid Manchester of United, um, you know. They got rid of players as well that they they yeah. were ruthless. They got rid of Sadio Mane. He'd only been there yeah. like a year and yeah. got rid of him. Off you go, mate. Benjamin yeah. Pavard, who was linked to Manchester United, ended up at Inter Milan. Yeah, and Marcel Sabitzer. He's gone to Borussia Dortmund, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they've got rid of a lot of players on the fringes and added in positions that needed improving, really, which is... The dream, Sam. If only. I know. I mean, saying that, though, from the outside looking in, United, what what, you signed Amrabat, you signed... The the three checkboxes start of this season were extra extra midfielder, goalkeeper, striker. All three have been signed. Two then midfielders, you've, then you've got two extra, goalkeepers. You've got an extra Mason Mount, you've got an extra goalkeeper, you've got a backup centre-half. It's not, it's not too bad. I know? mean, yeah, I mean, we can't complain, can we, no. let's be honest. I mean, when you when you say it like that, Sam, United has signed, yeah, you signed a defender, two goalkeepers, two midfielders and a striker. I mean, you talk about the manager not being backed. I mean, if he's been backed, fair play. I mean, he's... Uh, they are all to a lot a alone. Yeah, he's been back to a point. Yeah, to but, a point. I mean, you know, we're not Man City, we haven't got unlimited funds. Yeah. And, um, you know, sometimes... Or Chelsea, can't... where it doesn't seem to matter what funds are in the bank. It's <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. just, yeah, I like him. Let's buy him. Well, that was why I thought it was so important for City to get rid of Cole Palmer, because yeah. he's a an amortisation yeah. financial fair play sale where they get 100% of that off their FFP, which is clever. So I think that's why... Um, you know that was why they were quite happy to sell him. It was forty-five million. I think he was worth about seventeen million. Yeah. And then Chelsea have gone. Well, pay forty-five. Okay. See you okay. Later, Fine. Go. Yep. There you go. That'll sort our FFP out if they if they needed it sorting out anyway. But uh, anyway, Sam, back to Manchester United. That's what we're here to talk about, right? Look, Man United have played four games this season. I think we've been poor. I think we've been very poor. We've got six points on the board. We've got a beautiful comeback. And we've got a stinky out 1-0 win when we got yeah. battered. We got beat by Spurs when we were arguably better than we were against Wolves. We were okay against Arsenal. Look, Arsenal are a team that we expect to go and challenge for the league title. So, you know, you say after 96 minutes it was 1-1, so you can sort of see a draw. The 3-1 on paper doesn't really reflect the, the full aspects of the game. I get that. But at the end of the season, nobody's looking at the results and going, oh, well, they lost 6-0, but it was a great performance. Yeah. You know, nobody's looking at that. Everyone's looking at it going, well, you lost, you dropped points there, you dropped points there, you dropped points there, blah, 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 blah. So where are you at? From your tactical and technical perspective, Sam? It's been very 50-50, in all honesty. You know, it wasn't a good performance against Wolves, but the win was there, which is the making of great sides. It's when you're not playing well, you still got to get points which is what makes City so fantastic in recent we- in recent years. You know, even in an off day, City will still win, Where which is the where United have got to aim, really. You know, against Wolves, poor performance, came out of it, won a 1-0 win, got sort of let off the hook there. You know, Wolves were actually quite good on that day, and Wolves don't look that great since then. Against Forest, wasn't a fantastic performance, but, you know, there was a comeback win, it was quite positive around Man United, you know, fighting back from 2-0 down. Spurs, yeah, like you said, it was better than the Wolves' performance all in all, but Spurs are a better side than Wolves with uh, actual goal scorers in that team. Wolves just seem to have sold all of theirs this summer. So you're looking at, you know, it, it's very 50-50. I think it's all still to play for, obviously. You know, it's only four games out of a 38-game season. That's 
not going to do too much, you know, six points. It's a shame we haven't seen a bit more of, like, Rasmus Hoyland. It's a shame we haven't seen Mason Mount with a striker up there. See if he see if that improves his sort of ability to be fitting in in the midfield next to Bruno Fernandes or Casemiro. It's a shame we haven't really seen, like, Anthony's not really hit top form. We've seen a lot of Rashford at left at striker rather than left wing. As we come back, I think we'll see a lot more of a stronger starting eleven from Man United, and I, I it's it's not oh no, quick we've got to fix this now. It's not panic stations yet. It's very much you know keep it ticking along. Let's see how it progresses. Let's see how the season's going, and then in a month's time with another four games played or whatever reassess and think hang on something's not working here maybe we need to change something again but so far it's very 50 50 you know i've not been really really disappointed by the way united are playing but i've not been really blown away either i think we've been i think we've been poor i think going getting absolutely demolished by wolves and being saved by some good defending and an outstanding goalkeeping performance to go in 2-0 down inside four minutes against Nottingham Forest, who are a team that we expect to finish around 14th and if not lower this season. Getting beat 2-0 by Tottenham, who've just lost their talisman, and then getting beat 3-1 by Arsenal in an arguably a game where we conceded 2-2 in the last two minutes, but United were clearly playing for a draw. I just I just don't think I just don't think the Rasmataz is there. I just think it's yeah. been poor, and I think Ten Hag's under a bit of a pressure on himself, really. I don't, not not for a second suggest he's under pressure for his job, by mm. the way. I just think he's... Um, it just this start to the season, Malaki, the, you know, the, the pre-season wasn't great. And I think that he puts a lot of that down to commercialisation, saying that, you know, if it was up to me, I wouldn't have gone to America yeah. and done all this. And that's why we ended up having so many behind-closed-door games, because he couldn't play as many games as he wanted, as locally as he wanted... But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's been poor. But then again, with everything that's going on off the pitch around the club, so obviously we've got the Jadon Sancho scenario that's going on. What's going on with Anthony? We've had the Mason Greenwood saga and um, the injuries, the Diallo injury, Ahmad's come, is, is injured. Then you've had Hoyland arrive injured. Amrabat's arrived injured. Yeah. Mason Mount's got injured. Varane's got injured. Luke Shaw, Shaw Malassia. Yeah. You know, you, you sort of look at it and think, well, there's obviously stuff going on behind the scenes and there's obviously a lot of frustrations that Eric Ten Hag doesn't let show. And as Ty was saying about the body language regarding the Onana situation, it's another one to add to the mix uh, regarding the African Cup of Nations and him playing for Cameroon again. There's obviously a lot of politics going on. Yeah. And he's doing his best to, to shield from that. And I think letting go on Sancho recently was a bit, of a, a bit of a chink in the armour, a bit of a crack starting to show. And I think Samuel's question was basically, why weren't they in the matchday squad? But Tom is injured, where's Sancho? And he of course, just... that question was asked by Samuel Lucas from the MEN. So Plug, plug, I name know. drop. Exactly. Yeah. Get it Get in there. Get it in there, Sam. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, he basically asked, why have... He didn't suggest you, anything. Why are McTominay and Sancho not, not travelled down to London with you today, Eric? McTominay was ill. Sancho, he basically just went in and said... He could have lied. He could have. No one knows the real truth. No one knew the real truth. We know it now because he said it in a press conference. But it's it's it, that's a really strange thing to say, in my opinion. Unless and then, especially, it makes it even weirder with the way Sancho came out and responded to it. It's just it seems like there's been a miscommunication somewhere. I hope Eric Ten Hag's had Sancho on the phone in the last week and been like, "Hi, San- Jaden." You know, can we? Hi, Jaden. Hi, Jaden. Hi, Jaden. Why, why, why have you said this? Yeah. Would you not just? I can't believe you've done this. Did you not see him at training? <laughs> I I don't know if they've been in training. Hi, mate. Oh, you're okay. Don't know if they've been in training since the international break started. Well, that's the only point. Sancho should be back in training. He needs to be in training. Sancho needs to be in training. Whether he's there, maybe that was why he was dropped in the first place. Possibly. But anyway, for those that don't know, Jaden Sancho wrote a statement after reports of basically Eric Ten Hag said what he said in his press conference. It was then reported. And then Jadon Sancho, an hour or so later, wrote, Please don't believe everything you read. I will not allow people saying things that is completely untrue. I have conducted myself in training very well this week. I believe there are other reasons for this matter that I won't go into. Again, this is not the statement. 
more politics. Yeah. Back to the statement. I've been a scapegoat for a long time, which isn't fair. All I want to do is play football with a smile on my face and contribute to my team. I respect all decisions that are made by the coaching staff. I play with fantastic players and grateful to do so, which I know every week is a challenge. I will continue to fight for this badge no matter what. And the thing is, like, I I can only assume, this is is me, I can only assume that Jadon Sancho has seen the article either written by Samuel or written by somebody that is quoting what Eric Ten Hag has said in his presser. Yeah. And he's assumed that somebody has written about Jaden yeah. Sancho not being in the team. So he so though so he says, not allowing people saying things that is completely untrue. Don't believe everything you read. Yeah. But nobody read it. No, it was the said manager by his said own it. manager, and that's the problem. And I think that I that's where I think he says, please don't believe everything you read. And I'm like, I don't think he's seen at this point that the manager said that. No. I don't think he'd seen the, the press conference clip and he'd just seen the articles that were writing about it and he's and he's reacted to it. But it's so unusual to see a player come out like this. The yeah. last person that did it, as Ty said on Monday, was Cristiano Ronaldo. But very different circumstances. So yeah. there is obviously things going on at Manchester United behind the scenes. And generally, you know, under Solskjaer, there were leaks left, right and centre. And I think it was it was pretty well known where the leaks were coming from, come the end of it. And under Rangnick, there was leaks. But under Ten Hag, it's been relatively tight and this from Sancho just came completely out of the blue it was so bizarre yeah it is it is just a strange situation all round really it's just such a especially just before an international break well as you say it's like he's been misinformed it's like he has been misinformed Jadon Sancho because have you seen what they've written have you seen what they've written and he's gone yeah you know and it is like he's been misinformed and told oh look someone's writing about you not caring about training and yeah. then it's actually his manager said it but he's read the article and then he's read that's quoted the manager yeah yeah, exactly. yeah. just it's just a bizarre situation but but the um the onana situation as well like mm. how frustrating must that be so united signed onana uh, for, for anybody who doesn't know um onana retired from international football um the, 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 those reasons for it i'm not going to go into them but he was he retired from international football and vowed not to play for his country again and when he signed for Manchester United, it was under the expectation that he'd retired from international football and he wasn't going to go and play in the upcoming African Cup of Nations. Now, all of a sudden, Onana has reversed that decision. We don't know the details of it so much as to why, but all we do know is Onana is now playing for Cameroon again. And where does that leave Where does that leave United? Because it means now that, that Bayern Deer, is that, that's right, mm-hmm. right pronunciation, um, and Tom Heaton, who's injured, another player that's injured, yeah, are now going to have to be expected to play, which means they're going to have to step up their training to make sure that they can fill the role, you know. And I'm talking about filling the role in terms of playing from the back with their feet as well as being a goalkeeper, whilst Onana is away. And it's just something that Eric Ten Hag wouldn't have planned for. I'm sure when he signed him, he, you know, he sort of said that, yes, I knew this when he signed him, but reading between the lines. I don't think that was the case. So, yeah, that is part of the parcel with African footballers, though. There is always going to be the AFCON it, in the middle of the European season. It fits with the Euro- the African season. The African football season, AFCON is at the end or just before the beginning. For the European season, that comes right in the middle, which is, it's it's it is like you say, it's a caveat with signing African footballers. You know, Liverpool struggled with it when they had Salah and Mane. Manchester United now have signed Onana and Amrabat, who will both be away for the African Cup of Nations. It's and African Cup of Nations as well. The quality of the lower teams, you know, Cameroon have to beat Burundi this week to make sure they qualify, which is just you know Burundi are not a, a massively well-known footballing nation. I think their star man, maybe even the captain of their national team, is Saido Berahino, who. You'll remember from his time at West Brom. You know, there's a lot of the top quality African footballers will be going to AFCON. And there's always that risk that for a manager like Eric Ten Hag has that the footballers are going to go away in sort of the new year. So it's something that he'll have planned for. And like you said there, by India and Heaton, one of them will have to step up and be the Premier League goalkeeper for 
a couple of weeks at the very least. I don't think either. I don't think Bayindia will have been signed if he can't do that. Obviously, we haven't seen much of him at Fenerbahce. I don't think he'll have been signed if he hasn't got a little bit of ability with his feet. If he can't fill that Onana role just as well, if like just as well as Onana with his feet, he won't be as good as Onana. I've got no doubt, but. I think he he can he is a ball playing center uh ball playing goalkeeper so why are we we shouldn't put too much pressure on him there and Heaton's previously had um praise off Ter- Eric Ten Hag for being able to play that system because Eric Ten Hag came in for you know third choice goalkeeper and then Heaton really impressed him he said that in press conferences before and I do think you know they will be ready you know by India will play I think he'll be the cup goalkeeper we need to see Man United in a couple of cup competitions before we can make any conclusions on that. But I think by India has been signed. He wouldn't have signed just as, oh yeah, you're not going to play at all. So he'll he'll have had to be promised minutes. You know, he will play in probably both cup competitions. And I don't think the drop-off can be allowed to be that big. I don't think Eric Ten Hag would have been, would have signed by India if he thought, Hang on, I don't actually think he's going to fit in my system. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, no, no I agree. And it'd be interesting to see. And it was it, a lot of the time, come January, that's when teams are really starting to get into the rhythm as well. So you know, especially when you like you said about Liverpool losing Mane and and Salah, you know, it can really be a detriment to the team because the manager has got to spend months planning to spend a full month without these players. We don't know how far they're going to go in the competition. We don't know what state they're going to be in when they come back. You know, they're going to be emotional. They're going to need time off because mm. they've lost a final or whatever. So there is there is all this. And, and it's a bit of a, it's a, it's a caveat, but it's a fun caveat to have. Because like, you know, we had during last season, halfway through the season, the whole season had to shut down for the World Cup. And yeah. it just something a bit, I don't know, just something a bit different. I love, I actually really enjoy watching African Cup of Nations as well. Because it's just, African football is just so radically different to what we used to see in the Premier League. I just think it's really good. And... Well, Sam, speaking on African footballers, Ahmad Diallo has put a uh, three-word update out, which is uh, Manchester United fans are very excited about. He's uh, put a tweet, uh, post on Instagram with a picture of his leg and a picture of him in the United training gear with the caption, step-by-step, step, which means he is on the road to recovery. Now, obviously, he's a footballer that can play for the Ivory Coast if they qualify for the uh, African Cup of Nations, and he's fit. United might lose him as well. I'm hoping that he's... Uh, in a selfish way, that he's just not fit enough, mm. so he can just spend not quite that... fit enough. Yeah, just yeah. not quite fit enough to get selected. So he, he's around for United because I think he that there's a player in there, and you know, as a Sunderland fan, that that kid is electric. So uh, yeah, we're gonna wrap the podcast up there. Sam, is there anything else you want to talk about beforehand? Do you want to talk about Phil Jones being at United and why? Uh, well, I can go into it in a in a nice quick minute for you if you'd like. Go Phil on. Jones. There was rumours that he'd returned as an under 18s coach or a youth coach at Manchester United. Seems those rumours are not quite how it is. He was returned to the United Carrington Training Ground last week for just to watch a couple of games. There might be a role for him eventually but right now you know there isn't and I think Phil Jones probably does deserve he's had his career racked by injuries you know it's it's a shame because like Sir Alex Ferguson said he might be one of the best United players in history and he never he never that never materialized that career never materialized for Phil Jones so there was a lot of speculation you know has he returned as a youth coach what's his next step in football and I think, you know, if if United are going to take players like Johnny Evans for a bit of experience, you know, Tom Huddleston's playing with the academy at the minute. He's not even retired from professional football. He's just playing professional football in the academy as the experienced head in the dressing room. Maybe there's a maybe there is a role still at Manchester United for Phil Jones, just not as a first team player. That's interesting and I wish him well. Do you know yeah. what? I've never not not got a Nasty thing to say about him. I think, you know, I think as Ty actually said on, on the pod on Monday, if you take the wages out of the equation, you know, he's, he's quite sad the way his career yeah. sort of petered out. So, uh, you know what, if United can look after him and keep him there, and he obviously isn't a player that's come through the academy, so the open-door policy for academy players is there, but he's been with the club since, what, he was 19, so it feels like he's... Uh, Feels like it came from the academy anyway, but uh, no, Sam, just before we wrap the podcast up, uh, there's been a positive update from Denmark. Rasmus Hoyland looks like himself, according to the manager, which is a massive positive for Manchester United fans. And also, 
to finish off, Garnacho and Hoyland have both been nominated for the Golden Boy Award. Thanks for listening, guys. The mainline Manchester is Red podcast with Stephen Railston and Tyrone Marshall will return on Friday. That will be out Friday evening. Sam is on holiday next week, so there will not be a midweek Man United pod. But we will be back after Friday on Monday and Friday once again. So you're, you're, you will be catered for in the Manchester United realm. And then Manchester United will next play a on the 16th of September against... Oh, I've forgotten. He's forgotten. Oh, dear. Brighton. Three o'clock kickoff at Old Trafford. You're not going to be here for that, though, are you? I'm not here. No, I'm still on holiday. So I'll probably cover that game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it's the big one against Bayern. So thanks for listening, everybody. And we will be back in maybe two weeks. Maybe not. We'll see. Goodbye. Goodbye.